Good morning, Hallmark. It's good to see you this morning. How are you doing? Doing all right? Well, you've made it to the end. This is our last and final week in our series of life hacks, about 11 weeks worth of wisdom uh, that we've been able to enjoy from God's Word over this past summer. And while we may be concluding this series, uh, it is our prayer that this is a continual life event, that in your life you will never stop pursuing wisdom. Never stop learning. And so with that, Proverbs chapter 4 is where we will be at this morning. If you have your Bibles, please open them up to Proverbs chapter 4. King Solomon is the author of this passage. And he is a man, he is a king that has had it all. He has achieved it all, he has acquired it all, he has accomplished it all, he's conquered it all. But now, late in his, probably his middle-aged life, he's writing a letter to his son. And this is essentially going to be his legacy letter of what he would be known for. Taking in all of the wisdom that he has ever learned, Solomon is going to try to pass on to his son the one thing, the one thing that he believes is most important. So Proverbs chapter 4, let's read verses 1 through 4. Hear, O sons, a father's instruction. Be attentive that you gain insight. For I give you good precepts. Do not forsake my teaching. When I was a son with my father, tender, the only one in the sight of my mother, he taught me and said to me, Let your heart hold fast my words. Keep my commandments and live. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we just want to thank you so much for this opportunity to be able to gather around your word. Father, just as we have read, so we now pray. Please open our hearts and give us understanding that we may hold fast to your words. Father, please help us to be known as people who keep your commandments. And may you help us to live lives that are worthy and honorable of your name. Father, this morning we pray for wisdom. It's in your name we pray. Amen. This morning we are going to walk through Proverbs chapter 4 and observe the value of wisdom to the follower of Christ. Observe the value of wisdom to the follower of Christ. If you're taking notes or if you have your bulletin, number one, wisdom is the best practice for your home. Wisdom is the best practice for your home. What Solomon does here in the introduction in verse one is something real small that we read over real quickly, but it's actually a, a big deal into the Hebrew culture and into the Hebrew minds. When he says, hear, O sons, he's actually mimicking the Shema. Deuteronomy chapter 6, hear, O Israel. The Shema was the most important passage of all time to the Hebrew culture. It was the passage they memorized, the passage that they recited, usually twice a day, every day, they would say the Shema. And what Solomon's trying to do is grab his son's attention and say, look, what I'm writing to you right now is just as important as the most important passage that you've ever known in your whole life. So give me your attention. Please watch this. Please listen to the words that I'm about to be saying. Furthermore, the Shema is essentially a passage about parents discipling their children. What the parent has learned from God, so then they should pass down to their son. And that's what Solomon's doing. What he has learned from his father, he is now passing on to his son. And so he believes the best way to do this is by reflecting on a personal moment an intimate moment that he has shared with his father, the king. 
Solomon is about to give us a peek into the palace where we're allowed to see and catch a glimpse of royalty. Now, this is a big deal because, generally speaking, the royal, the royal family and, the, and royalty, they keep their distance from us common folk, right? There's castle walls and there's barriers and there's, there's separation between the two. In fact, back in 1936, Marianne Crawford, who is also known as the royal nanny, uh, became the governess to Princess Elizabeth and to Princess Margaret. For the next 12 years of her life, she lived in Windsor Castle uh, with the young princesses. Uh, every day she was with them, and she was known for doing a fantastic job. They gave her a, a nickname. They called her Croffy, and she loved them. She taught them. She, uh, every life skill they ever learned, she was with them through the most formidable years of their lives. Uh, Croffy is known as being the only governess to take the royal children on the London transit public transportation system, all right? Uh, but she felt it would be a good idea to take them to the zoo, and so she did it just like everybody else. She was even with them during the Berlin Blitz, uh, World War II, when the German Nazis were bombing London. She was with them the whole time for over 12 years. At the conclusion, she resigned, and they awarded her a home and a bunch of other gifts. The, the public became very fascinated with Croffy because she essentially lived this fantasy lifestyle, right? In the castle with the princesses. And people wanted to know, what was that like? What were some of your memories? What were some of the things you got to do with the princesses? The queen mother caught wind of this, and so she wrote a letter to Croffy, and she told her, those of us in our position are to remain utterly oyster concerning the events that take place in the palace. In other words, Croffy, you need to be clammed shut with secrecy. We don't talk to the public about what happens inside our lives. Now catch this. The king and queen don't want you to know what's going on in their private lives. But did you know that we serve a king that holds no secrets from us? In fact, we serve a king that he is not only uh, wants us to know everything about him, he's actually invited us into his palace. And we're just not invited into his palace. We're going to be eating in his palace because he's preparing a feast for us in his palace. And in addition to that, he's also going to adopt us as his own children, making us royalty. That's the king that we get to serve. And so Solomon wants his son to completely understand this. And so he gives them this picture of what's going on in the palace. Verse 3 says, When I was a son with my father, tender, the only one on the side of my mother, he taught me and said to me. He recalls a moment in his life where his father, King David, and his mother, Queen Bathsheba, gathered together with their children for a time of teaching and discussion. And I believe it is centraled around the Word of God. A time where the father and the mother have gathered the family together around God's word. Uh, can you imagine what those moments would have, be, would have been like? I mean, we're talking King David, the psalmist. I see this picture as, as bedtime devotions, all right? And the children, can you imagine that maybe one night they're going to bed and uh, maybe there's a storm coming over the horizon? The children are scared. And while Queen Bathsheba is lovingly caring for uh, Solomon, King David comes up and says, you know what, Solomon, it's all right. We don't have to worry. 
because the Lord is our shepherd. We shall not want. He makes us to lie down in green pastures. He restores our soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And even though it may feel like we're walking through the valley of the shadow of death, Solomon, we don't have to worry because our shepherd is with us. And our shepherd, his rod and his staff, they they comfort us. He prepares a table before us in the presence of our enemies. He anoints our head with oil. Our cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Solomon, don't worry. You're in the king's house. You're safe. Wouldn't you just like to be a fly on the wall with King David giving a devotion to his family? Here's the picture that we have to see. That the practice that was occurring in the king's palace should be the same practice that's occurring in the homes of God's children. Parents, you're gathering your family around for a time of teaching and a time of passing on your faith to your children. Fathers gathering their children around the word for discussion and for talking and for praying. Catch the picture here. Do you see what's going on? That fathers gathering their children around the word, you're merely preparing your family for the day when our father gathers his children around the word Jesus. What a glorious day it's going to be. And this starts in the home. This is where we prepare for this moment. Family devotions are some of the most critical components to the Christian faith. When the family comes together, and talks about God's Word. I've personally enjoyed doing this. We don't get to do it all the time, but we do try to make it a practice as much as, as much as possible. And I can remember one time that we were having family devotions, and my three-year-old daughter at the time was praying, and she just decided to do the world's longest prayer. We prayed for everything, and it was going on and on and on. At one point, She was running out of things to pray for. And this is a quote, I promise you. She's praying and she says, Jesus, we pray for this, and Jesus, we pray for that. You're running out of stuff to pray for. You don't even know what you're saying. You're just saying this and that. (laughs) But what a joy it was to be able to hear my daughter pray. This past week, uh, on Monday, we discussed uh, in John where Jesus says, I am the bread. We talked about how bread smells good, bread tastes good, and bread fulfills us. And that Jesus said he's the bread, so Jesus is good, and Jesus fulfills us. We prayed and concluded our time together. My son asked, I can't wait to get to heaven. I'm going to take a bite of Jesus. (laughs) All right. Got to work on the theology just a little bit. (laughs) But we're getting there. It was out of these moments of family devotions that my daughter Uh, came to me one night, and she wanted to be saved, okay? This is one of the most critical, foundational uh, pieces to our Christian faith. Fathers, gather gather your children around the Word. Of all the memories Solomon could have shared with his son, right? This is 30 years, probably 40 years removed from being a child and with his, his father, King David. Of all the memories he wants his son to know about, It's this memory right here. Wisdom is the best practice for your home. Moving on in uh, chapter 4, verses 4 through 7, he says, He taught me and said to me, 
Let your heart hold fast my words. Keep my commandments and live. Get wisdom. Get insight. Do not forget and do not turn away from the words of my mouth. Do not forsake her and she will keep you. Love her and she will guard you. The beginning of wisdom is this. Get wisdom and whatever you get, get insight. Solomon does something really unique here. He's going to objectify wisdom. He says, get wisdom. As if it is something we can go on to Amazon and purchase and get it shipped to our door, right? Go and get it. But he uses this word get, and he actually says it five times. Not just one, not just twice, but five times he's going to repeat himself, get wisdom. Now this is what's unique about this word. Solomon uses this word get. The Hebrew word is kanaw, K-A-N-A-W. He uses it 11 times in all of Proverbs. Half of those times is just right here in two verses. Okay, Now, kanah, when used in the Old Testament, while a handful of times it is translated get, it's not how it's translated the majority of the time. The majority of the time it's translated as buy, purchase, to, to go and acquire, to buy it. All right, What is Solomon trying to tell us? He's saying wisdom is the best purchase for your life. Wisdom is the best purchase for for your life. Imagine if your daddy came to you one day and he gives you his wallet and he says, I want you to go and get a Dr. Pepper. Make sure you get a large Dr. Pepper. Do not forget the words that I'm saying. Whatever you do, make sure you go and get a Dr. Pepper. And if there's anything else you do, make sure it is a large, ice cold Dr. Pepper. What does your daddy want you to do? <laughs> Let me ask you this How much does your daddy want you to spend? He doesn't care. He just wants you to get it, right? That's what Solomon's trying to tell his son here. Wherever you find wisdom, wherever it is, go and get it. It doesn't matter what the price is, get it. Jesus illustrates it this way in Matthew chapter 13, verse 44. He gives a, a, a parable and says, The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy... He goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. He sells everything because he found this one thing. It's the value of wisdom. Jesus goes on and gives another parable right next to it in 45 and 46. He says again, The kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who, on finding one pearl of great value, went and sold all that he had and bought it. He sold the entire business because he found one pearl. Solomon is trying to tell his son, this is how valuable wisdom is. I mean, this is the man who has it all, accomplished it all, acquired it all, has it all. He says wisdom is the one thing that you need to make sure that you get. We are to buy wisdom, thus wisdom will come to us at a cost. At a cost. It could cost us financially. So are we willing to spend it? But as in this passage, it could cost us time. Are we willing to spend the time? Parents, are you willing to uh, work your schedule around a, a day where you can get with your family for a time around God's Word and discuss spiritual matters? It could also cost you commitment. Cost you commitment. Commitment to God's people and commitments to God's church. You know, this is what we're trying to do here as a church is we are in seek of God's wisdom. We're trying to live godly lives. 
So will you be committed to God's church? You're here at 10.30 today for the worship service? That's great. We also have a 9.30 a.m. Bible study for all adults and for all children where we're all walking through God's word in search of, commit, uh, of wisdom. Will you be willing to make the commitment? No matter what the cost, no matter what the cost, Solomon says wisdom is worth the purchase. There's nothing else in this world that you will find as valuable as wisdom. Number three, moving on in verses 10 through 19, we'll see that wisdom is the best, the best path to walk. Wisdom is the best path to walk in. Verse 10, he says, Hear, my son, and accept my words, that the years of your life may be many. I have taught you the way of wisdom. I have led you in the paths of uprighteousness. And just as we were singing that song, there's the phrase in there, and I can't remember it, <laughs> but where he, he grabs our hand. Is that right? Something along there. He grabs our hand and he leads us there, right? Why can he say that? Because of right here. I have led you in the paths of uprightness. You're not walking alone. You're walking with him. Verse 12, when you walk, your step will not be hampered. And if you run, you will not stumble. Keep hold of instruction. Do not let go. Guard her, for she is your life. Solomon's going to give us uh, the option of two paths, two diametrically opposed paths. And you can go one way or the other. That's the only options you have here. The first one is the path of the wise. And he describes it as, a, as when you walk, you will not be hampered. When you run, you will not stumble. He's talking about the seasons of life that we kind of go through. There are seasons of life that we get to walk. It's kind of the casual season. You know, we're, we're doing stuff and knocking things out one day at a time. I like to refer to this time of life as the dual income, no kids time of life. That was the time where I could just walk smooth sailing. <laughs> but then we have other times of life where we're running from one thing to the next. We have responsibilities all over town. Uh, we have events. I refer to this as the back-to-school week, right? The back-to-school back week is also the back-to-ball practice week, and it's the best back-to-the-birthday party week, and it's also the special extra reports we got to do at work, and we're just running. Solomon's saying whether you're walking or running, whatever time of life that you're in, you're going to make it. You're going to navigate through it. You won't be hampered. You won't stumble. It will be clear to you. But then we come to verse 13. And keep hold of instruction. Do not let go. Guard her, for she is your life. Those who are on the path of wisdom are not walking empty-handed. They're holding on to instruction. What's the instruction he's referring to? It's God's word. It's God's wisdom. They're holding on to it, and they're holding on to it so tightly, they believe that their life depends on it. In other words, they're holding on to God's word with the death grip. The day that you die is the day that you can release it and let go. Solomon's trying to convince his son of the value of God's word every single day of your life. And this is one of the reasons why we like to encourage memorizing Bible verses. You know, for many of us, it's something we used to do all the time when we were children. But we just haven't kept up with it lately. But this is the value to memorizing Bible verses. We can hold on to it no matter where we're at in life, no matter who we're with. We're holding on to those verses. One of the verses I'm holding on to right now is Proverbs 22, 6. Train up a child in the way he should go. And when he is old, he will not depart from it. You know, and I hold on to this verse because it reminds me 
of my responsibility right now, that I have children, and that I'm, I'm the one that's responsible for training them in the way they should go. It reminds me of uh, the seriousness of the matter, because the way I'm training them right now is going to influence their decision-making skills later on in life. And so as I walk through life, I try to hold on to this verse because this verse will come to my mind and it will tell me, you know what? You're a father, you're a dad, you're a Christian, you're a husband. You don't need to do that right now. You need to avoid that path. And it keeps you on the path of the wise. Wisdom. Uh, we need to hold on to it. We need to grab it and not let it go. Charles Spurgeon once said that train up a child in the way he should go but be sure you go that way yourself. <laughs> I, can't, I can't just tell my kids what to do and not do it myself. I have to set the example. And that's what happens when we hold on to wisdom. Over the past 10 or 11 weeks, we've been able to share wisdom up here. And all of those sermons are available online for viewing. So if there's some wisdom that you missed, well, what would Solomon probably encourage you to do? Go and get it. It's worth every penny. It's worth every moment of effort that you watch it. There's wisdom in work, wisdom in parenting, wisdom in planning. We even got wisdom in spandex. I don't, I, I don't know if that was part of the original plan, but it found its way in there as well. So what are you holding on to? What is the wisdom that you're holding on to as if your life depends on it? Opposed to the path of the wicked is the path, or the path of the wise is the path of the wicked. Verses 14 through 19. Do not enter the path of the wicked. Do not walk in the way of evil. Avoid it. Do not go on it. Turn away from it and pass on. For they cannot sleep unless they have done wrong. They are robbed of sleep unless they have made someone stumble. For they eat bread of wickedness and drink the wine of violence. But the path of righteousness is like the light of dawn, which shines brighter and brighter until full day. The way of the wicked is like deep darkness. They do not know over what they stumble. We, we, we just covered in, in two verses, Solomon gives his son five urgent commands to go and get wisdom. Now in two verses, he gives six urgent commands to avoid the path of the wicked. Do not enter it. Do not walk on it. Avoid it. Do not go. Turn away. Pass on. You get the idea? He wants his son to know this is not the place that you want to be in your life. And so I have felt a burden that I need to let you know about the path of the wicked. Because one path is the path of life, while the other path is the path of death. One side is the path of the light side, while the other path is a path to the dark side. And I don't want you to be in the dark. And so I have uh, done lots of studying, and I've come across an excellent commentary on the dark side. It's written by a 900-year-old theologian from the light side. Currently, he has about seven editions. I think there's an eighth edition that's going to be published a little bit later this year. But I would be remiss if I left you in the dark. So I need to let you know about the light, right? And I need to let you know about the dark side. So I have a friend that's going to help me share some of this with you this morning. In his commentary, the first one... <laughs> He says, fear is the path to the dark side. Fear leads to anger. Anger leads to hate. Hate leads to suffering. I mean, it's like he read these verses and comes up with this stuff. 
in his second edition, he says, uh, the dark side clouds everything. Impossible to see the future is. Solomon says that the path on the wicked, they are in deep darkness. This is actually a reflection back to uh, the days when they were in slavery to Egypt and God sent down the ten plagues. And for three days there was darkness on the land. A darkness so deep that they would not even leave their homes. It's a deep darkness. They, they don't know what's coming up in life. They can't see the future. They, they don't have any insight. And then in a later edition he says, once you start down the dark path, Forever it will dominate your destiny, consume you, it will. And this is the language in this verse, that when you eat, when you drink, when you sleep, constantly, you're just thinking of these unwise decisions and these burdens and these wanting to do the things of the wicked. You just can't get it out of your mind. It's one thing after another. It's an endless cycle until it fully manifests itself into violence and death two diametrically opposed paths. The good news is you get to choose which path you're on. If you don't like the path that you're on, if you're on the path of the wicked, all you have to do is pick up some wisdom and head in the other direction and hold on tight because you never want to go back down the way of the path. This is what's great about the path of the, white, of the wise. Walking the path of wisdom puts you in the will of God. Walking the path of wisdom will put you in the will of God. We're always wondering and we're always wanting to know, what is God's will for my life? Solomon just says, we'll, we'll pick up his word and read it and he'll tell you. But that's not good enough, Solomon. I want to hear God speak to me. I want to hear God's voice. What does God want me to do? To which Solomon would probably say, pick up God's word and read out loud. You'll hear his voice. <laughs> it's right there. So which path... Which direction will you choose? The direction you choose, it will determine the quality of life that you enjoy. That is for certain. But this is the one thing the wisest man in the world has said, wisdom is the best path. Number four, wisdom is the best prescription for your heart. Wisdom is the best prescription for your heart. Proverbs chapter 4, verses 20 through 27 it says, my son, be attentive to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Let them not escape from your sight. Keep them within your heart. For they are life to those who find them and healing to all their flesh. Keep your heart with all vigilance. For from it flow the springs of life. Don't let your word escape from your heart. He wants you to keep them in your heart. But look, notice verse 23. This is a verse that I love. Keep your heart with all vigilance. For from it flow the springs of life. I love the New Living Translation of this verse where it says, Guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. Guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. This is a, this is a mouthful for Solomon to say because he says, Above all else. In other words, the, the, the wisest man to walk the face of the earth, the earth who has said many wise things says, you know what, above all else, all that other stuff was good, but this one thing you cannot miss. And he says, guard your heart, for it determines the course of your life. The wise king has all of a sudden become the seasoned cardiologist. Having an understanding of the human heart, I would believe like no other people had during the time of his day. 
The human heart, the average human heart, is about 9 to 12 ounces in size. It's about the size of your fist. It could fit inside of a Coke can. Probably don't want to mix those two, and they're not good for each other. But that's about the size of your heart. And your heart beating at 80 beats per minute translate into over 100,000 beats over the course of a 24-hour period. Each beat pumping life-giving blood and oxygen to all of your organs and to all the extremities of your body, going through the blood vessels, which are the passageways for delivering that life-giving blood all over. Doctors believe that in the average adult, if you were to take all the blood vessels, stretch them out one right after another, that it would end up being somewhere between 60 and 100,000 miles long, enough to go around the world more than four times. Look what Solomon's saying. Your heart has the sole responsibility for beating 100,000 times, pumping life-giving blood through 100,000 miles of blood vessels just to give you life. If one beat messes up, life is at risk. This is the truth we have to understand here. That Solomon saw some 3,000 years ago, long before x-rays, MRIs, EKGs, and all the other stuff we have in the doctor's office that costs a lot of money. (laughs) Solomon resolves that the condition of your heart is the most significant factor in the Christian's life. The most above all else. And see, now we can see all this come together, right? If I do not take the best prescription for my heart, I will not be able to walk the best path in life. If I don't take the best prescription for my heart, I will not be able to make the best purchase for my life. If I don't take the best prescription for my heart, I'm not going to be able to conduct the best practice for my home. It's all going to revolve around the heart. The best prescription for your heart, Solomon is saying here, is God's word. If you don't take in God's word, you will not be able to walk in God's ways. You just won't know them. And if you're not walking in God's ways, you're not going to know God's priorities. And if you don't know God's priorities, you're not going to be able to have a godly home. This all revolves around the heart above all else guard your heart. As we mentioned a few weeks ago, the heart is the inner center for everything that we think, everything we feel, everything that we desire. For from it comes the the springs of life. Verse 24 says, uh, put away from you crooked speech and put devious talk from you. So how do we protect our heart? We put away the crooked speech and the devious talk. We need to examine our mouth. What am I saying? Am I encouraging Am I discouraging? Am I lifting people up or am I putting people down? Am I keeping my promises? Or am I not being a man of my word? Don't miss the opportunity to keep your mouth shut. Man, that was some great wisdom from last week. Don't miss the opportunity to keep your mouth shut. Put away from your crooked speech. What else? How else do we protect our heart? Verse 25, let your eyes look directly forward and your gaze be straight before you. You need to examine your eyes. What am I watching? What comes in through my eyes will affect my heart. 
Hebrews 12, 1 and 2 says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely to us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the author and the founder, the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is now seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Just like we put blinders on a horse to keep them on the road, so the Christian also should be wearing the blinders of God's word and be focused on Jesus. We need to ponder. We need to examine our eyes. Verse 26, ponder the path of your feet. Then all your ways will be sure. We need to examine our thoughts What's going on in our thought life? How are we making decisions? Are we really pondering about what's going on and if this is a good or a bad decision? Even the little decisions are worth thinking over a second time. What is the wisest decision I can make? Andy Stanley talks about making the wisest decision given the fact of who I am and all my strengths and all my weaknesses. In this moment, what's the wisest decision for me to make. We always want to have a Bible verse to help us make a decision. But sometimes we just need to know what's, what's the wisest decision here in this situation. Verse 27 says, Do not swerve to the right or to the left. Turn your foot away from evil. We need to examine our direction. Examine our direction. Where is this taking me? Where is this leading one of the common themes in Proverbs is prudence. Prudence is being able to look over the horizon and to be able to make good decisions based upon what would be coming up in life. We need to have prudence. Examine our direction. One of my chores around the house right now is mowing the yard. I love mowing the yard. Any of y'all like mowing the yard? A few of y'all? I mean, there's just something about cutting that grass, getting it all nice and even and level, Edging the, edging the curb and the sidewalk and then just stepping back and looking at the beautiful yard, right? Just, I just love doing that. Well, my yard, uh, I have a six-foot privacy fence around my yard, six-foot wooden privacy fence, and it backs up. I have neighbors behind me, so I can't see them, but I can. I can see their house, and I can see my neighbor has a tree and a metal shed and, you know, just some things over the fence, but can't really see anything else. A uh, long time ago, I, start, I was mowing the yard, and as I'm doing the route by the uh, fence line, I, I take a 90-degree turn to, to do the back of my fence. And all of a sudden, my neighbor's dog just runs up to the fence and just starts barking and yapping at me. I can't see him. He can't see me. He just knows I'm right there. And he's walking with me step by step as I'm mowing along the fence line, just barking and yapping. And then all of a sudden, stop. Okay, that's interesting, and I keep on mowing. Another, the next week, I'm mowing the yard again, and the exact same thing happens. I'm just mowing, and I take that 90-degree turn for the back fence. Dog runs up, starts barking, and he's walking with me, and then all of a sudden, stop. I was like, what is going on? And this happened for week after week after week, and then finally, when I had my moment of stepping back and appreciating the nice, clean-cut yard, I looked, and I saw my neighbor has a metal shed right there. And as I would be walking, 
that dog would be so focused on me, he would not see what's coming up in his path, and all of a sudden, boom, and he'd stop barking. Now, this is, I mean, you know, sometimes, I love mowing, but sometimes you get bored mowing, right? So, just true confession, there's a few times I may have sped up my path a little bit to see if I could get that dog to run in there. And uh, this went on, I'm telling you, for years, for years on end, he does that. <laughs> but here's the deal, the dog was so distracted with something that was so meaningless, he brought harm into his life. And Christian, that, that's the same thing for us as well. When we become so distracted with the meaningless things that this world has to offer, we can run ourselves right into a metal brick wall. And we bring harm to ourselves. This is not wisdom. We need to be wise. We need to choose wisdom. Wisdom is the best prescription for our heart. For Solomon, this is what he wants his, one, his son to know. This one, and this one most important thing, that you choose wisdom. Wisdom is, it's God's word. It's simply God's word. And so some of the walking points that are included in your bulletin. What can you do to make your home look like the palace? Believers, we need to gather together and we need to make our homes be the epicenter for spiritual growth. This goes all the way back to the beginning when the father was walking with Adam, his children. It goes all the way back to Deuteronomy 6 where fathers and mothers were sitting down with their parents teaching them their faith. What can we do to make our homes look more like the palace? And also, what is the wisdom instruction you're holding on to? What's the wisdom and instruction you're holding on to? Let me encourage you to memorize Bible verses. It's incredible what they can do for you. This book is alive. It's like no other book that you'll ever read. It's alive. And if you hold on to some scripture, if you hold on to a verse, in the moment that you need it most, God will bring it to you. And it'll help you become wiser. And then how are you protecting your heart? How are you protecting your heart? How are you protecting your children's heart? For Solomon, the man who had it all, who accomplished it all, who had more wealth than the world has ever known, he said, this is the one thing above all else. Guard your heart. With every head bowed and with every eye closed, we'd like to have a time of of reflection and invitation. We can think about the wisdom that we're using in our life. If you're a guest with us this morning and if you're new to this whole church thing, I just want you to know with all certainty that wisdom is the best prescription for your heart. And by wisdom, I mean Jesus. Jesus is the best prescription for your heart. There is no better decision you could ever make than to invite Jesus into your heart as Lord and Savior of your life. And in just a moment, we're going to have a moment of invitation. And if you would like to invite Jesus into your heart, we're going to have some friends that are going to be standing down here that want to talk with you about that. And so when we stand in just a moment, just come on down and talk with them. It could be the wisest decision that you would ever make. But for our members... And I ask you, does your home look like the palace? Does your home look like the palace?
the one place in this world that revolves around God and God's word. We're trying to be godly people. This is one of the most important practices that we could ever make an investment in. It's the wise decision. And so I just want you to take that with you this morning. Am I walking wisely? Am I making my home just like the palace? Let's all stand and I'm going to pray for us. And again, when I'm done praying, if you would like to make the wisest decision you've ever made and invite Jesus into your heart, I want you to come down at the end of my prayer. Just come down, shake hands with one of my friends that are up here, and we'd love to talk with you about that. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you so much for the wisdom that you offer us. Father, you hold no secrets from us. You want us to be wise. Father, it's our prayer that we would be people who are known for keeping your commandments, people who hold wisdom dearly in our hearts. Wherever we go, maybe in our homes or in our jobs, I pray that we would be people that act in wisdom. It's your name we pray, amen.